Good morning, friends. My name is Nathan Jadim. I'm speaking today on behalf of Frontiers and about 1,200 workers serving Muslims across this world. Thank you for joining us. For the next 40 minutes, I'll be privileged to share some of the more amazing miracles happening in our day as Father launches movements of Muslims to follow his son. My goal in doing so is threefold. First, I want to increase your joy. Paul wrote of the thanksgiving he could return to God because of the Thessalonians and of all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. You will find yourself rejoicing because of what you hear this morning. Secondly, I want to increase your faith in the promises of God who told us again and again that we would eventually see days of great harvest like we're seeing today. Over and over, the prophets like Isaiah repeated promises like, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world, and the nations will rally to him. And of course, ultimately, I want to add to the ranks of those beautiful feet who trust God sufficiently to joyfully offer their entire lives and their medical skills to see more Muslim movements to Christ for the glory of God and the joy of the nations. Before I begin, I know that some of what you will hear may puzzle and even trouble you. We in the West are very often interested to know, are Muslim believers orthodoxic? By that we mean, do they ascribe to our creeds? But the problem is most of them have never read our creeds, so the question is rather premature. If we ask the question differently, we might get the answer we want. Do Muslim believers affirm all the Bible teaches about God and especially about Jesus Christ? But there's a question we Westerners don't ask or seldom ask, either of ourselves or of others. Are Muslim believers orthodoxic? We should ask this question far more often. Do they follow Jesus as Lord and live and obey all that Jesus commands. As I share some of what Father is doing in our day, I hope you will find my answers satisfying to both of these important questions. Danny and his family moved to Lebanon in 1996 and then to their city of residence in 97. They came believing God would enable them to plant and see reproducing believing communities that would go beyond Lebanon. The beginning was slow. During those early years, the team was able to start many spiritual conversations. They gave out a lot of Injils, New Testaments, but after about five years in Lebanon, all they had was a handful of people studying through Luke with the team some of them were talking about Jesus, but not much more. It wasn't until about 2005, almost 10 years of active work, that a guy walked back into their lives and everything changed. But we have to go back five years to 1999. A young suicidal Palestinian walked into a cafe and approached an American, one of Danny's teammates. The young man's name was Mahmoud, this is him, and he wanted to practice his English with a true foreigner. His goal was to defect from Lebanon to any other country besides Pal because Palestinians had no future in Lebanon at the time. And so Danny became Mahmoud's friend. For the next six years, nothing much spiritually came of this friendship. Danny tried to share Jesus with Mahmoud, but Mahmoud didn't care about religion. Then in 2005, after almost six years, Mahmoud met with Danny in a cafe, and this time he announced, I've seen nothing but hypocritical religion all around me, but I've been watching you guys for a long time, and I hear you talking about being followers of Jesus, 
and I've decided I want to follow Jesus like you guys are following him. Will you help me be a follower of Jesus? Let me introduce you to Mahmoud and let him actually introduce himself. I'm uh, a Palestinian follower of Jesus. I'm Palestinian Lebanese. I lived in a Palestinian town. Uh, I grew up in town. We were born and uh, brought up to hate an enemy called Israel. Because since we were kids, children, we heard stories about how our uh, families came from Palestine and uh, they were uh, persecuted by the Israelis and they were forced to leave their homes and come as refugees to the countries around Palestine. So that, that was really bad for a child to start his life hating someone. Mm. I'm uh, a Palestinian follower of Jesus. I'm Palestinian Lebanese. I lived in a Palestinian town. Uh, I grew up in town. We were born and uh, brought up to hate an enemy called Israel. Because since we were kids and children, we heard stories about how our uh, families came from Palestine and uh, they were uh, persecuted by the Israelis and they were forced to leave their homes and come as refugees to the It was fortuitous that Danny's team had just added a new member. I believe Scott was from England and he came to Lebanon specifically to work with Palestinians. Scott was also single which meant he had more time available to disciple. Danny introduced Mahmoud to Scott, and every night in a cafe in the middle of the city, the two of them began to meet together, open the word, study, and pray. Mahmoud is a teacher in one of the United Nations schools for Palestinian children. As Jesus started changing his life, his students began to notice. They were strongly impacted. Listen again as Mahmoud tells about how he shared Jesus with his Muslim Palestinian students in school. By that time, I was always, when teaching students teams in English, I used to go back to the Bible and get verses from the Bible that support the theme. According to honor rules, we are allowed to get any uh, enrichment from any source to support the themes that we teach. Oh, yeah, I used to go back to the Bible and get enrichment from the Bible, first from the Bible that support the things I teach. By that time, I was always when teaching students things in English. Mahmoud had a best friend named Ibrahim. This is Ibrahim. Both were teachers in the same school, and this gave Ibrahim ample opportunity to watch Mahmoud. What he saw made him curious. One day, Scott came to visit Mahmoud's class, and Ibrahim asked to join them. Ibrahim told me in a conversation recently that on that occasion, he heard the students ask Scott, this white-faced foreigner, Mr. Scott, do you love God the way our teacher does? And soon after this, Ibrahim entered the kingdom and joined Scott and Mahmoud in studying the Bible. Within a short while, these two friends decided that they wanted to share the good news with others, and they asked Scott if they could start a Bible study in their own home and invite their friends. Scott enthusiastically supported this idea, and so the first Palestinian-led Bible study started in this city in early 2006. When Mahmoud and Ibrahim started this Bible study in their home, they were immediately joined by six others, all friends, people from their relational network. You have to realize, Danny and his team had tried for many years to gather believers together, or even seekers, just for fellowship. But as soon as the first person found out that number two person was going to be present, the first would back out. There was just no trust. But Mahmoud and Ibrahim's friends 
all knew each other and trusted one another. Then in 2006, war broke out and Danny and his family had to flee. Danny tells how he and his family drove to Beirut, where they were staying in a hotel waiting for the U.S. Marines to evacuate them. He was standing outside on his balcony when he felt a nudge from the Holy Spirit to go inside and use the bathroom. He explained that the thought was unusual, and today, of course, he knows that it was God's way of saving his life. No sooner had he left the balcony than boom! The Israelis blew up the communication towers just outside that hotel. Danny would have been hamburger had he been on that balcony. He and his family were evacuated by the Marines and taken to Europe. During this time, Danny stayed in contact with Mahmoud by phone. About halfway through this 30 days of evacuation, Mahmoud told Danny, I think I've lost my faith. I just can't believe the Bible is real if this is happening around us. And Danny said, oh, don't let go, brother. Get back into the word. Read the word as much as you need to. We're praying for you. We love you. And so Mahmoud did. He started reading the Psalms. While the shelling went on around them, he would read the Psalms to his sister and to his mother. They took great encouragement from these words of scripture, and by the end of the war, both mother and sister had started to believe. Thirty days after the evacuation, Danny and his family decided to return to Lebanon. Now, that in itself is amazing for a man who had almost been blown to bits to take his wife and children back into this tumultuous land. There's only one explanation. Danny and his family had discovered the treasure for which we willingly sell all. And what they found when they arrived back home was equally amazing. What had been a Bible study of eight, just 30 days earlier, had grown to a Bible study of 16 Palestinian Muslims. When they got together, Danny asked Mahmoud and Ibrahim how the Bible study had been going. And Mahmoud explained, well, we open our English Bible and we read it. Then we translate it into Arabic and we talk about it. Danny didn't tell his brothers what to do, but he did make suggestions. He said, well, what if you tried reading from the Injil Sharif, the Arabic version, and just talked about it from there? Mahmoud and Ibrahim said, well, we hadn't even thought about it. So they went back to their friends and they used the Sharif. And later they reported, the brothers loved it. It was the best thing. Now, here's an important lesson for the, those of you heading to the field. What you model, they will practice. Because Scott had not been able to learn Arabic by the time he started to disciple Mahmoud. He had to disciple him in English. And because Mahmoud had been discipled in English, he just assumed that he must use an English Bible to disciple his friends. Then in 2009, after the first Gaza invasion, Mahmoud was invited to speak at a large rally in his Palestinian camp. Now, the rally was intended to stir up hatred for Israel, but the Holy Spirit told Mahmoud, you need to give a different message than what people will hear from everyone else. So that day, Mahmoud got up and shared how he'd been experiencing transformation in his life and had reached the point where he could feel forgiveness and offer mercy instead of hate. Well, that didn't exactly go over well. A number of people stood up and reviled him, protesting his words. But there were two sheikhs. There were two sheikhs in the crowd, Imam Abdullah and Imam Nasim. Both were trained to teach in the mosque, and they came to Mahmoud afterwards and asked to hear more about what he had shared. So Mahmoud invited them to his home because they were interested in this idea of forgiveness. And in his home, Mahmoud told them a little bit of the story and then said, if you really want to understand about forgiveness, come and study through the Injil with me, and then you'll understand. That's and they did. Those two sheikhs started studying through Luke each Friday 
along with Mahmoud and Ibrahim and Scott. About halfway through Luke, Abdullah and Nassim came to the study one Friday and announced, okay, we've read to the end of Luke and we agree with everything that it says. And so we too want to be Jesus followers. Can you help us lead this study now? And, and can we invite others to join it? So the Imams started bringing others from their mosque to the Friday study. In 2010, one of the team went away to receive training in disciple-making movements called DMM. They brought what they had learned back to these new Palestinian leaders. So they modeled a Discovery Bible study, DBS, for Mahmoud and Ibrahim. And then those two brothers took the DBS model back to their Friday Bible study. Well, the imams, the sheikhs, just loved this. They found this method so simple, they wanted to pass it on. And so they started a Bible study on Fridays after prayers in their mosque. After modeling this Bible study method in the mosque, other Muslims started six discovery studies in the mosque. And one of the DBS groups was comprised exclusively of sheikhs, six sheikhs studying the Injil in the mosque. Now, Mahmoud had been baptized shortly after he made entrance into the kingdom, but it wasn't until 2011 that Ibrahim decided he was ready to be baptized. But now there are imams and sheikhs in this picture. Sheikh Abdullah was not quite ready for baptism. He, wasn't, he certainly wasn't ready to be baptized himself, but he was curious enough that he came along to watch the baptism. While a group of friends took Ibrahim out into the water, Abdullah watched from the shore as Ibrahim was baptized in the name of Jesus. And that night, he had a dream. He saw himself standing in front of a waterfall when a voice said, Pass through for the cleansing of his sins. And shortly after that, Imams Abdullah, Nasim, and another believer, Yusuf, were all baptized. Now, this is huge. Imams, sheikhs, authorities in the local mosque are baptized in the name of Isa al-Masih, Jesus the Messiah. After completing their study of Luke, the imams moved on to Acts. One day, the sheikhs announced to Mahmoud, Hey Mahmoud, we've decided to preach Jesus at the mosque. Mahmoud was not sure about this and asked why, and they said, Well, we've been reading the book of Acts, and we noticed that the apostles preached at the synagogues. And so we thought, why can't we preach at the mosque? And they did. They preached Jesus at the mosque for a few weeks over the Christmas season. And I'll tell you something, they're still preaching Jesus in the mosque. Fast forward. Today, there's a national leadership team comprised of Mahmoud and Ibrahim, two or three of these sheikhs, a doctor that I'll tell you about in a moment, and some of their wives. This team of elders meet weekly to study the word together, to listen to God, to make plans for the future. Danny's a part of that group, but he confesses he's basically there to give encouragement. Sometimes he'll have a good question or maybe an offer an idea, but these Palestinian followers of Jesus are now leading this movement. Now, about Dr. Mahjid. Mahmoud and Ibrahim led this doctor to the Lord and spent four months discipling him. Dr. Majid runs a clinic in a remote part of Lebanon. One evening, he had an extremist fighter show up at his clinic along with his 12-year-old daughter. This guy was bearded and scruffy, and he had a reputation for coming and going, probably because he was fighting across the border. Dr. Majid treated his daughter and the jihadist asked how much he owed. When Majid said there's no charge, the jihadist wanted to know why. Majid said, well, I'm now a follower of Jesus, and this is just part of the way that I share his love. Well, this fighter was so intrigued, he said, I want to know more. And when he learned that Dr. Majid led a weekly Bible study, the jihadist asked if he could join. <laughs> Dr. Mejid thought, yeah, well, I suppose you can, but no one else will come if you do. So long story short, 
Dr. Majid started a new group just for the jihadists. They began studying creation to Christ, and when they finally got to Jesus, the fighter broke down and said, All my life, all I've known is fighting, killing, hate. And yet reading and studying about Jesus has begun to fill some of this fiery passion that's in my heart. I don't want to stop, meaning I don't want to stop learning about Jesus. This is changing me. But it didn't stop there. The jihadists started inviting his band of brothers to study the Injil with him. And pretty soon, they had to split into two study groups, then four and six and seven. Yes, some of them stopped after a while, but as of a couple years ago, there were still four ongoing Discovery Bible study groups meeting in this camp of extremist jihadists. This may not be a full-fledged movement yet. There are not quite a hundred fellowships in this particular stream, fellowships of baptized believers that identify as churches. However, including those in the Northeast, Mahmoud and Ibrahim are pretty sure there are over 70 groups that they consider to be churches, and there are more that are seeker groups. One quick caveat to this story. During the first weeks of his new walk with Jesus, Mahmoud and Scott visited the pastor of the only Protestant church in town. The pastor told Mahmoud that to fully be a follower of Jesus, Mahmoud, you need to attend my church. In other words, Mahmoud, you need to become a Christian like me. Well, on the way home, a close friend stopped Mahmoud and said, Hey, Mahmoud, I saw you go into the church building this afternoon. Have you become a Christian? And Mahmoud said it was at that moment that he came to the realization in his own heart. No, I don't want to become a Christian. I want to be a Jesus follower. And he wanted to become a Jesus follower so that he could retain access to his family and the people around him. July of 2018, I had the privilege of interviewing Mahmoud and Ibrahim in Lebanon. Here are some of the direct quotes or answers to questions that I heard from them. I'll close with these. The term Christianity, said Mahmoud, is very sensitive to use in our town and community. In our society, it's very negative. If I say I'm a Christian, I've converted from Islam to Christianity, I will lose contact with my community, if not the whole community, 80% of the community. And this will hinder and block the telling people about Jesus. This was the exact quote. He went on, calling ourselves Atbay Isa al-Masih, or a follower of Jesus in Arabic. This helped us spread the word. We felt the responsibility to tell our people about Jesus. That was a vision I had. When we say we're a follower of Jesus, that means we accept them, speaking of his Muslim friends and his community. But when we say we are Christians, that means we don't accept them. And then he went on to say, now I'm a follower of Jesus. Ibrahim is a follower of Jesus. We are much more loved by our community now than we were when we were not a follower of Jesus. Out of experience, to be a follower of Jesus is very positive. It has a very positive influence. Now, let me address the role of expat medical professionals in movements like these. There are many places in the Muslim world where you are welcome to serve in pretty much any medical capacity in which you're trained, in clinics, hospitals, medical offices, etc., Dr. Tom, in this picture, serves the forgotten of the Nuba Mountains of Sudan. There are other places, such as where Dr. Majid serves, where foreigners are not welcome to practice medicine, at least not among the people that we want to serve. Still, in many, if not most places in the world, we expats can find ways to help national medical professionals to serve their communities and if we're strategic, we can help train those who are skilled church planters. Dr. Majid is a certified doctor. He doesn't need 
our special training. The young man on the far right is not. He only has minimal dental training, but he's a formidable church planter who also received just enough training in dentistry that he can head off to places that we cannot go and plant churches we could only dream of planting among Muslims that we Americans may never be allowed to reach. The man to his right in the white pants is Shadanke Johnson, director of a mission that has seen multiple thousands of Muslims enter the kingdom. I doubt many in Africa would disagree too loudly if I claimed that Shadanke on the right is the Apostle Paul of Africa. If you've read the book Miraculous Movements, many of the stories are about this man and those who serve with him. Shidanke lives and trains missionaries in Sierra Leone, a country probably unknown to most of us until Ebola put it on the map. But God has always known all about this little country, and he chose to use this small land to radiate his good news to many of the surrounding countries and people groups. Part of Shadanke's strategy is to provide effective national church planters with skills that will allow them to move out with the gospel. Several years ago, Shadanke invited an American dentist to come to Sierra Leone and train six of his top church planters to be mobile dentists. The American doctor said, well, I don't really have time. It took me seven years to complete dental school. And Shadanke said, I, I know, but I'd like you to come for just two weeks and train my men all you can in those two weeks. And so this American dentist accepted the challenge. In two weeks, he trained six young men like this one, church planters, to give Novocaine injections, extract rotten teeth, and even do routine fillings. And then, with a solar-powered dental chair, like the one you see in this picture, thrown over their shoulder, these six young dentists were able to hop on the back of a taxi motorbike and head off to places not even traveled by most of us. Now, you may not want someone like this with only two weeks of dental training working on your teeth, but when you consider that most of the doctors and dentists were killed during the terrible Civil War, you might be extremely grateful to see one of these young men pull into your village, especially when you learn their training was provided by an American dentist. When these guys show up in a village, many Muslims welcome them. The young dentist will set up his solar chair, and while he's working, he'll tell his patients a select set of stories from the Bible while he's drilling. And when he's done, he asks the patient, did you like that story? Now, if they're not interested, he goes on. But if they seem to be genuinely interested, he'll explain, I'll finish up here around 7 p.m. Come back this evening and I'll share more of these stories with you. Those who are not genuinely interested don't return, but those who have a spiritual hunger often come back to hear more. That evening, the dentist or church planter meets with all of his patients who return and he shares more stories with them. And then he announces, if you really like these stories from the Bible, Bring your families back tomorrow morning before I start work and I'll teach you how you can tell and learn from these stories along with your families. And the seekers do. Those who show up the next morning before the dentist starts his dental work are trained in the Discovery Bible Study Method. Discovery groups typically begin with a couple opening questions. What are you thankful for and what are you stressed about? Then a Bible story is shared. It's read or told two or three times. Afterwards, the whole group is asked to repeat the story from memory. And oral people are really pretty sharp about remembering stories. And then someone in the group, the facilitator, asks questions that help the whole group grow in their understanding of Jesus and they start sharing what they're learning. As a result, Groups of Muslims like these are gathering all over Sierra Leone, reading stories from the Bible, and then discussing amongst each other questions like this. 
What do we learn about God from this passage? And what do we learn about humanity in general, about ourselves? And then, if this is the word of God, how will we obey this passage? Participants are encouraged to obey in one of five different ways, either a sin to confess or avoid, a promise to claim, an example to follow, a command to obey, or knowledge to gain. And then, very important, they are asked, with what friends or family members will you share this story? So the gospel goes viral. Several years ago, I was asked to speak at an earlier GMHC gathering, and in preparation, I called Shidanke back and asked what role medical professionals from the West might play in helping spread the gospel in places like West Africa. As part of the interview, I asked him about the effectiveness of the church planters that I had met, who had been trained by the American dentist. Here is an excerpt from our phone conversation. Now, I, I want to tell you a story of a, a dentist, a church planter dentist called Kasi. His name is Kasi. Okay. Yeah, Kasi is from a very small village with less than um, 100 people. And Kasi, being a church planter, was trained to plant churches. And then, at an opportunity, when the a dentist doctor came, he was one of the church planters that went through the training. And with that training that Kasi got, the first thing Kasi did was that he went back to his home village, which was Muslim village. And everybody knew that he had been a follower now of Jesus, and they had been unhappy with him in the past. They were not happy with him. But when he went now, That's the story of one church planted by one of these dentists in one community. I asked Shidanke if these mobile dentists had planted other churches, and he answered, a lot of them. This year, the year under review, he said, we have more than 30 churches planted by dentists and some of the medical guys. More than 30 churches planted in Muslim communities. On an earlier visit, Shidanke introduced me to another set of church planters, Shidanke invited an American optometrist to visit Sierra Leone and trained several of his best church planters to provide routine eye exams. Because many in the villages can't read, they use this simple hand chart to test patients' eyes. Here's another clip from my interview with Shidanke. So what if a, a, an optometrist came and lived with you for 10 years and he just trained lots of your people and, and he's constantly I'm, training them and sending them out. I, I'm, I'm telling you, that one, that would be, I don't know, that would be, it's, it's, it would be what I would call a spiritual tsunami <laughs> in this country. <laughs> I wanted to see a transformation beyond this nation because the people who train, we yeah. go beyond Sierra Leone. Yes, we go I know. beyond Sierra Leone. And the ripple effect felt all over Africa. I mean, definitely here in Muslim countries. The, the generational touch of whatever training would be immense, yeah. would be really immense. It's going to be a movement. It will create a movement not only in Sambol, far beyond the borders of Sierra Leone. We also met this American-trained doctor of sorts on the left. He may not be able to pass our board exams, but Ted Esler, the president of Missio Nexus, who was with us on this trip, he was certainly glad for this brother's medical skills as are hundreds of Muslims in West Africa who have not only been healed of their diseases, but have made entrance into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Once again, well-trained Western doctors have provided sufficient medical training that church planners like this brother 
can bring in the harvest that we might never see from our direct labors. And don't forget what we heard from Jadanke. If some of you medical professionals would move to the West, like West Africa, and stay there for a decade, or better yet, for many decades, and humble yourself to keep training and helping these national church planters to take the gospel where you don't want to go if you love your life, Shadanke likened this to a spiritual tsunami. Shadanke explained the great need for pharmacists to come and serve alongside these church planters. It's likely Western-trained pharmacists will be able to use their advanced skills to dispense the, the more complicated medications, probably in one of the large cities like Freetown, but their most effective work for the kingdom could very likely be to train national church planters so that they can go where you can probably never go and provide the right medications for some of the more common ailments. Serving national church planters in a church planting movement is humbling. You've worked for years to earn degrees that equip you to provide the most advanced care available on our planet. It's humbling to use all that training to pass along only a small bit of what you've learned. But by equipping the nationals, by making heroes out of them, you equip them to do what you cannot do very well and what Father has called them to do very well, to plant churches that reproduce. And is this not exactly what our master did? Consider how he humbled himself to come and train yahoos like Peter and Thomas to heal in the power of the kingdom. In case you have doubts as to how effective such a ministry may be, here is a sampling of some of the kingdom growth just in Sierra Leone in a 10-year period. These figures are likely larger now, but here's what we believe was true back in 2012. 136 churches among the Fulani, 194 among the Kisi, 159 among the Koranko, 40 and 14 among the Krim and Kriofula, respectively. 240 fellowships of worshiping Muslim background believers among the Mandingo, 218 amongst the Sherbo. This is amazing, folks. Almost a thousand churches amongst the Temne. And you could joyfully participate in this great harvest for the glory of God and the joy of the nations. Thank you.